corn drives the market and all other ingredients kind of follow. And so no doubt doesn't seem like this corn price is going down anytime soon. Welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive inside the DNA Helix. The pork industry has been experiencing difficult times lately, and today we're going to spend some time talking about what producers can do to save on input costs, specifically feed costs. My guest today is Dr. Steve Kitt. Steve is a swine nutritionist with Pill and Family Farms and DNA Genetics. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Kitt. Thanks for having me. Steve, I always like to start by getting to know the guest just a little bit better. One of the questions I typically ask is, where did your passion for the swine industry come from? Sure, being raised on a really on a farm and the livestock that we had the most of were pigs. And so my older brother got to uh, drive tractors and do the kind of the technology and cool stuff. And I was stuck taking care of pigs and, and it stuck and became a lifelong love. Yeah. And so, your, your, your farm is from in Western Iowa. Western correct? Iowa. Yep. So yep. did you show pigs in 4-H or FFA or anything or just, just no. mostly for production? Yep. Just commercial pigs. Yep. So then when you went to college, did you know you wanted to go into the swine industry to some degree? Yeah, I th- so raised actually during the farm crisis, and so it became pretty clear that there wasn't room to come back to the family farm. So it, we were really encouraged to go get a degree, right? So I knew it'd be agriculture, and at that time, as a youngster, you really didn't know any professionals that weren't on the farm, and so it was a veterinarian, right? And so that, that's what I thought I was going to do until I had an older brother, got a degree, and agronomy, an advanced degree in agronomy, and he encouraged me to look at an, at like masters in something within animal science. And so in addition to some classwork that I really enjoyed, realized that nutrition was kind of my passion. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. you started at Iowa State. Iowa your, State. Yep. So I got a bachelor's at Iowa State and then ended up uh, doing a master's in, uh, in PhD in swine nutrition at Nebraska. Yep. Very good. And so you actually were with Pill and Family Farms and DNA Genetics a few years ago and, and left her a little bit to do your own consulting and now we're back. Kind of describe what brought you full circle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always really uh, appreciated the, the focus, um, the discipline and the people at Pill and Family Farms and DNA um, just had an opportunity and I took it to see what I could do from a consulting standpoint. And what I did was really consulting for pork producers in addition to really some feed additive companies and then here recently just decided uh, an, an opportunity came up to really come back and, and it didn't take long to make a decision to come back because of the people. And in addition to the, amount, the volume of uh, research and commitment to research moving forward, and that's exciting. How so, would you say, so you were gone for roughly, what, eight years or so? Five years. Five years, yep. five years. So in that time, what do you think has, has been the biggest change that you've seen within the system? I think the really cool thing is merging the two businesses and leveraging the talents between the two. I think that's really neat. In addition to the, the commitment to research to really advance the improvement of the pig from a genetic standpoint, in addition to supporting the commercial business through research. So let's talk about what you're currently doing. So you've been back on board now. What What's your primary focus? Yeah, haven't been here all that long, and, and we're kind of taking it one step at a time. But really, it's big picture. It's kind of 75% focus on the commercial system, 25% on nucleus. 
And within that nucleus bucket, there'll be some customer support and so kind of technical services within that. So anywhere from research to getting out in barns, reconnecting with people on farms, mills, all those sorts of things to really identify maybe some gaps and then figure out, you know, which gaps do I kind of help work on. So what really does a swine nutritionist do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think it's really about identifying uh, really the nutrient needs of pigs within a certain life cycle of that pig. And then, and then making sure we can get the, those appropriate nutrients to the pig. And so it really boils down to understanding, uh, for a great example of that would be as a gestating sow, you don't want her to get too fat or too lean. And so you limit feed her, but you still need to deliver the right amount of nutrients. Whereas a lactating sow, you want her to eat as many, as much as possible and uh, getting the right nutrients at that point in time too. Those are just two, maybe drastic examples, but defining those nutrient needs and then making sure we're delivering on those. And the other thing I would say is a typically a production nutritionist in a fairly large system will work hand in hand and really needs really, really good teammates in terms of working with veterinarians to solve problems, managers uh, of farms to solve problems, etc. And so it becomes a pretty neat situation when you've got great, great teamwork within the system. And obviously, starring in podcast episodes, too. That, Absolutely. That's probably Absolutely. one of those other duties as assigned, right? <laughs> Didn't expect that one. <laughs> so let's dive into the topic that we have at hand today. So we're talking feed costs. Why are we talking about this issue? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of prepared a little bit for this uh, podcast, and it, it kind of forced me to sit back and, and think about, no doubt we're dealing, and anybody listening to this knows we're dealing with extreme or very high corn costs right now, kind of that $6 corn range. But it kind of forced me to look back into the timetable and the calendar of what, what's transcribed over time. And I can remember sitting in this, well, different office, but at Pillen Family Farms from 2010 to 2013, and we had record corn prices, $67 a bushel. You know, then six years thereafter, from 2014 to 2020, it was a fair bit more manageable, 350 to $4. That seemed to be kind of the new plateau. But then 2021 to current, we've really dealt with five to seven dollar corn prices, and so obviously corn drives the market, and all other ingredients kind of follow. And so, no doubt, I was just looking before, just a bit ago, that our, for example, our summer corn bid is 584 today, and new crop is six dollars. So it doesn't seem like this corn price is going down anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. And I, in a former career life, I was working for Nebraska's corn industry, and I mean. Corn producers are probably thrilled now, but you can never make everybody happy. <laughs> so how do we tackle this problem and what can really be done to help pork producers maybe alleviate some of the challenges that they're facing? Yeah, and maybe before we get into some of the specifics, I'd, I'd kind of throw back maybe um, some thoughts or some generalities of, of concepts that I think it's important for maybe the listener to think about. And I learned uh, not all that long ago, maybe eight or 10 years ago in my career, the importance for all of us to speak uh, the same language as much as we can. And I don't mean, you know, Swahili versus English. What I mean is, is really in this business, obviously we're in it to make money, right? Mm-hmm. And certain certainly want to have fun along the way. But really what I learned, like I said, eight or 10 years ago was that if we can put monetize or put dollars to everything we talk about, I think kind of everybody at every level of an organization can understand what a dollar is, Right. And so I think when we communicate with teammates, business managers, farm owners, et cetera, peers, I think anything we can do that. And so 
a story behind that of how I, how I learned that. I'll never forget. I was working with a mill manager and talking about grind size and we'll get into that. That's one example down the road, but, and how important that is for feed efficiency. And, and I'll never forget that individual looked at me and said, well, you know, why do I care about feed efficiency? And I, I just paused like, oh my gosh, I've never really outlined why this is really important in his vocabulary. And so then we got to talking about, well, this means X dollars a ton or X dollars a week. And thereafter, it was like we were on the same page. And so I, that's one of my main points maybe today that anything we do, w- whether it's feed or not, I think it's good that we can try to monetize and talk about things. And then I think we can all kind of get a grasp and an understanding of, of how important this, this situation might be. The other big kind of big picture concept I like to talk about is, is when I prioritize tackling problems, and I think a lot of people go about it this way probably is, like I said, what is the dollar impact? Let's try to monetize it. And then two, how easy is it to influence um, either short or kind of moderate or long-term? So for example, today, I think the economics would clearly say, and there's always some asterisks and some yeah, buts, but I'd love to be pelleting right now, but right now that's not feasible. We don't have the infrastructure to do that. And so I think sometimes we got to sit back and say, okay, that we need to put that one on the shelf. Let's go after some things that we can tackle today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at some of those specific items that producers or their peers can really do or focus on to maybe help them in their current situation. Sure. In a bit of preparation, what I decided to do in, in this podcast was just kind of uh, put together a top 10 list. Um, I'm going to start a, calling you Steve Letterman. That's right. I'm kind of <laughs> old school, kind of a David Letterman fan. Oh. So it probably won't be that dramatic, but, <laughs> and, and I would say too, that certainly I think I'd have people that could debate these numbers or the order of these numbers. I tried to kind of sit back and think kind of through and put, you know, put a, a pencil to them, but um, certainly I go about it in a top 10 and hopefully the listeners can at least find one or two of these where there's maybe some opportunity. And I will say that I put a range of opportunity here. Some producers are probably just knocking it out of the park. And some of these would be, you know, these dollars that I've that I'll throw out might be goose eggs, but I got to think there's one or there's always opportunities in mills or farms. And, and so likely there's at least one here for everybody. Sure. So I'm looking on my soundboard right now and I don't see any drum roll or anything like that, but let's, let's dive right in with, with number 10. Number 10. Okay. So certainly it, it's at number 10 for the reason that typically the big dollar impact is, is finishing pigs. That's where most of the feed is fed, no doubt. But I listed really kind of sow, the sow herd, whole herd feed conversion, and, and so the opportunity, especially I believe of the DNA sow uh, and the, certainly the experience in the pill and system would be to um, d- a lot of focus on not overfeeding the sow. The one thing we know as scientists or nutritionists that if we overfeed a sow, she won't eat in lactation and really high intake in lactation is the number one goal. And so the difference, for example, if, if you've got a herd that's at five pounds, um, I, I believe most herds out there could easily be taken to four and a half pounds. And I'm talking kind of on a, on a gestation per sow gestation basis over whatever given a period of time you want to measure it. And that, that dollar range I would throw out would be depending on your feed cost, et cetera. And all of these are going to depending, depending on your feed cost and your region, et cetera. But I'm going to throw out 60 to $70 per pig range. And so, and I think that one, oftentimes I put kind of an ease of, of, of ability to, to get this one done. Certainly Every system can be different, but I put that one fairly high that I think you can go out there and work with your, you know, your gestation staff and probably make that happen. So with this, with this item 10, then how do we really know how much to feed? 
Yeah. So there, there's a lot of good tools out there. I would throw out that, um, uh, there, there's a, a few years ago, an NC state, uh, Mark, Mark Nauer developed a caliper and there, I, I there's going to be some research coming where we can support the use of the caliper with the DNA sow. I think that's a really good tool. The other thing I would throw out is I think it's critical. Anything we try to move and move the needle on, we have to measure it. Otherwise it just becomes rhetoric and conjecture. And I would just challenge anybody, if you're not quantifying weekly, monthly uh, measurables to try to uh, have an impact on that, I, I think it's probably time to do so. All right. So we talked about number 10. Let's keep going down that list. Yeah, absolutely. So number nine is um, uh, 1% better corn price. There's, this is the one on here that uh, mo- we really don't have, right? The market drives the corn price, to be fair. But I think, uh, and this is the one of all of the um, uh, 10 on my list where maybe the accountability doesn't fall to like my seat or, or my peer seat uh, here at Pellens and a little bit of a passing the buck, if you will. But certainly I think your purchasing agent or your toll mill that you work with, et cetera, whoever's helping you uh, and advising you to buy corn, there's probably always a bit of opportunity there. So, And number eight? Number eight, additives that promote feed efficiency. And so this one gets really tough and we're, we're not really in the business of endorsing this additive or adi- that additive, but I do believe there are a fair number of additives out there that can give a re- fairly repeatable uh, feed efficiency response. And I would try to pick the ones that are, work with your, your suppliers, people you trust to find those. For example, there are those out there that might cost you a dollar per ton, but give you a, a 1% feed efficiency. And if that is the case, you're probably talking 60 to 75 cents a uh, finished pig. All right, then number seven. Number seven is the use of alternative ingredients. Really in the Midwest, upper Midwest, that's really DDGs for the most part. Sometimes wheat mids and some other ingredients. And so we've been feeding DDGs. I mean, the industry has really for 20 plus years. Really challenge yourself, challenge your, your nutritionist, your advisors of how can I maximize when appropriate. And unfortunately, nutrition is always, uh, quote unquote, it depends in terms of profitability of, of when to feed high levels and when to feed more moderate levels. But certainly, I would say right now, it appears like depending on your geography, somewhere between 50 to probably a buck 25 for every 10% DDGs uh, fed to pigs. So then as we look at this number seven then too, are there other alternative ingredients besides DDGs that can be used? Yeah, definitely. Items like wheat mids, um, we're in a drought right now. I think most people have, so we may end end up experiencing low test weight grain. There might be a way to buy that at a appropriate discount. You don't want to buy that. You want to make sure you work with somebody to help you with the math there. I'm really jealous of those that have the ability to to tap into some metro areas that, that feed a lot of food byproducts, things like bakery meal and you know, you hear about people feeding ramen noodles and things like that that are really good energy sources that unfortunately we don't have a lot of out here in Nebraska. But the one thing I would say it's really important when you get your hands on the opportunity for those sort of ingredients to really work with a qualified nutritionist to estimate, you know, the the nutrient content and the feeding value of those ingredients. But there are a lot of people out there that are very competent that, that can help you out there. We're progressing right through this list. I think we're on number six now. Okay, number six is... Waste and shrink. And this one becomes really broad, um, but I'll list things like, uh, are you seeing or visualizing any any waste at your feeders, waste at your bins, waste at the pit of your, your receiving pit at your mill? When you're reclaiming, what kind of waste are you incurring there relative to letting that feed sit there? 
and the calculations and the cost of reclaiming. And so there's a lot of things at the mill and at the, at the, the barns that can be done to reduce waste and shrink. And so those, the, the other thing I'd throw out is, is um, I think sometimes in times like this where the profitability is, is not even close to where we'd like it to be, it's hard to spend money. On the flip side, I did some kind of back of the napkin math, and I think so. If you've got a if you've got a uh, a barn, twenty four hundred head, forty eight hundred head barn, it really doesn't matter the size. But the feeder cost is only two percent of your capital cost of a barn, and so the the reality. But it's putting through sixty percent of your cost of production through that feeder or all those feeders, and so I think it's really critical to have good equipment. This might be the one thing to invest in right now that that would have show a give you an immediate reduction if you are incurring a lot of waste yeah absolutely and now as bon jovi would say we're halfway there with number five that was really cheesy I'm, i feel like i should edit that out later <laughs> uh, you gotta keep it that's all right uh great uh number five uh grind size um not a real sexy discussion but definitely pays the bills. So every 100 micron size gives you about 1% feed efficiency. And with the cost right now, you're talking somewhere between a dollar and a buck 20 a pig. Um, certainly, certainly a lot of nutritionists uh, uh, work on this. Um, and again, getting back to the discussion, maybe we had the front end of the, of the discussion or the podcast was that let's make sure we're monetizing first, first uh, getting it on paper. What are we doing on a daily, weekly basis at all, all your mills, um, making sure you're quantifying it, and then let's try to monetize it so that we can use that as a benchmark to, for process improvement. Yeah, I wondered if grind size was going to be part of our discussion today, because isn't this a, a fairly old topic? Yeah, it, it is. It, I mean, there's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing novel about it. But you would be surprised of how little um, it's really audited, measured, and really corrected. And so particularly when mills are pushed for time, that's the first thing, depending on the bottleneck of the mill, but that's some of the first things that'll, that'll go by the wayside to really get throughput through a mill. And so um, I would just really utilize that sort of data and, and encourage people to, to think about things like that that are, that are close to the pig. And remember my story earlier about the universal language. I think that really can resonate with people once they understand that this could be thousands of dollars a, day, a week or whatever the math might be to really really uh um, make an improvement and and, you know uh can't can't sit here and um uh and and not not make some sort of uh football quote and as i was thinking about about this topic it's really yeah it's not sexy it's not um a a new novel concept but you know nick saban is uh quoted as saying quote fundamental technique and discipline will eliminate a lot of bad plays and i think pork production is a lot Maybe maybe 70, 80, 90% of execution and not shiny, fancy new objects. All right, we've got a, just a few more left. Let's move on to number four. Yeah, this one's uh, maybe less about, you know, you, asking your nutritionist to formulate differently or the mill to operate differently. And it really gets to probably more your live ops people of optimizing kill weight. Maybe a better way to say that is optimize market weight. And so if your packer, the combination between your packer constraints, um, so sort loss or premiums relative to your feed cost, your incremental feed cost on a heavyweight pig, if you can get there, that, that should really reduce the losses right now or improve profitability in good times. Depending on where you're at today, um, you could be somewhere between a buck or a buck 50 opportunity 
uh, depending on, on where you're at relative to your quote unquote sweet spot. Yep. And then we've got our final three. Yeah. So, um, uh, number three is, uh, forever, uh, again, maybe not directly can or can't be, um, uh, is 1%, each 1%, uh, less finish mortality. Um, and sometimes people will lump coals into there. That's probably a little bit different math equals today with the kind of fee costs we're talking about is somewhere between a buck 25 and a buck 75 on all pegs, ensuring that we don't do things, even though these times are tough, I think it's important to remember that, um, the cost of mortality can be very large and no doubt there's been a lot of disease, uh, PERS and other things the last couple of years, but what are the things we can do to focus on keeping pigs living and thriving? Um, that's, that's a big, uh, lost opportunity and cost of production. It's sometimes easier said than done, but definitely worth investigating and figuring out there's ways to, if there's ways to, to improve that. Dr. Kit, number two. All right. So like I mentioned, maybe in kind of the intro or the start of this, of kind of the big picture concepts is, is pelleting. Anybody that has access to pelleting, I'd really encourage them to look at the cost to do so with their mill or their toll mill. Just again, back to the math, oftentimes you'll see people charge somewhere between 6 to $8 a ton fee cost for pelleting. And I think most people would say that 4% feed efficiency, as long as you don't have a lot of fines, do a good job of getting a good pellet. That can be somewhere between a buck fifty to even north north of a uh, two fifty a pig, and so certainly that's geographically dependent, uh, mill dependent, all those sorts of things. But I think it's something to look at and and investigate. Now we're on that number one item, and I'm trying to remember what what were you calling your top top ten list? It was the top ten list by dollar impact. Is that right? Yeah. Feed cost, uh, dollar. Mo- yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as good as Dave. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk about that number one item. And like you said, the intro, this, this really all can vary from farm to farm based on situation, but what is kind of that number one thing that you really want people to take home with them? Absolutely. I think, you know, and it was interesting when I was doing this math, this, this was a good exercise of, I would have told you if I had to just hip shoot it, that the number one, uh, uh, cost today would have been, you know, to cost impact probably would have been pelleting or even mortality. But when I actually did the math, if, if, if we're wrong on the lysine requirement, uh, and, and formulation around lysine, um, that can be probably today the biggest impact. And so lysine's amino acid, um, of protein. So essentially knowing your, your pig's, uh, lysine requirement and formulating accordingly. And so for every 1% below I'm, I'm suggesting that's about 3% impact on feed efficiency, which is somewhere between $2 and 250 a pig. And so certainly work with your nutritionist on that. Ensure you have, you know, high lean genetics supplier, reach out to your DNA representative. We have several modern recent data sets with the commitment, continue to uh, investigate what is optimum lysine requirement. And the other thing is, is we're, we're working on some calculators to optimize because sometimes maximize doesn't mean optimize, especially when costs are high. So the number one thing is really ensure you're hitting what we believe to be the optimum lysine requirement of this pig. Steve, Mr. Letterman, um, it seems like nutritionists talk a lot about lysine requirements and don't we kind of have this all really figured out by now? Yeah, it's, you know, you'd think so, right? Uh, I always kind of use an analogy and almost a joke it's like uh, we go to grad school with the geneticist and they do their thing we don't really know what they do they don't know what we do and that's probably still true today (laughs) to some degree but but the reality is 
the reality is we um, are always, we as a nutritionist are always playing catch up with the geneticists. They're making a better pig, a faster growing pig, maybe eating more, maybe not. But as that pig grows faster, he or she is laying down lean, uh, lean deposition is, is changing and the feed intake patterns and the growth patterns change. And so we're always as nutritionists, always kind of playing catch up to the geneticist and no doubt in my mind that the geneticist here at DNA are modifying and improving that pig every day. And so every few years we need to assemble a, a comprehensive updated requirement for that pig. And that, that simply means research. And there's a serious commitment here in DNA genetics to, of focusing on the research it takes to, to optimize the lysine requirement of the DNA pig. Yeah, absolutely. So after we kind of looked at all of this top 10 list of yours, are you leaving us with the, the idea or the, the mindset of, of anybody that's really listening to this can kind of sum up these items and really use this to get multiple dollars per pig? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, you know, it's not like, okay, I, I threw out a lot of 50 cent pieces and multiple dollars. And if you summed up all these, I haven't done it, but it's probably something like 15 bucks a pig. I'm not saying, I don't think anybody can go get all of those. It's like, uh, but I have no doubt that I have confidence that every producer can go pick one or two or three of these to focus on and they can go find some dimes, 25 cent pieces, 50 cent pieces, and probably a, a dollar here and there. So you know, it's not that the sum of all of these we're going to be able to go get. I think all the producers in the business are, are really salty producers, but no doubt sometimes it's what we focus on we can go achieve. And I would throw out that, you know, they're probably the, the comprehensive of these lists. I would think there'd be 50 cents to a dollar to a dollar fifty a pig out there for most producers. Yeah. yeah. And, and as you kind of alluded to earlier, genetics really do play a role in feed efficiency, feed conversion. Talk about that a little bit and, that, and its importance. Absolutely. You know, to maybe brag a little bit on DNA genetics, I don't think they take a backseat to anybody in terms of the impact on, on feed efficiency, on growth, on livability. And so, but I would say that, you know, it's important to, to whatever genetics you have to really utilize this list to try to maximize and optimize and, and make sure you're with a, with genetics that, that really are high lean, uh, high growth genetics and, and, and high and good at, at feed efficiency. Key take home message to leave listeners with today in a nutshell. I would say, you know, monetize everything you do as much as you can measure as much as you can. And then you can use that to lead people. And then take this top 10 list and maybe it's whatever part of the list that you feel like um, there's opportunity on your farm. You may be nailing the top five, but there may be number six and number eight or, or a couple that, that you can work on. And yeah, that, that would be, that would sum it up. Very good. Thank you very much, Dr. Steve Kitt, for joining us today. Thank you. Dr. Kitt is a swine nutritionist with DNA Genetics and Pillin Family Farms. For more information like this, visit dnaswinegenetics.com or our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix. I'm your host, Curtis Harms. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms. Thank you.